This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Welcome back to the show. We're in the second hour of the Power Zone right here on Power 98.7. A big thank you uh, to everybody that has been uh, listening in and those that started with us as well in the open line. We're in the second hour of the show. We are continuing uh, looking at issues of security, uh, looking at the year that we find ourselves in. It's an election year. Uh, things are moving as we speak right now. We're waiting for the president to make that pronouncement, right? Uh, that will give us a sense of when we are actually heading to the elections but as the build-up continues on the ground we see this particular weekend being a big one the last voter registration drive in the country just prior to that we see the IEC taking their drive to the police stations not police stations but yeah to correctional facilities in terms of making sure that inmates are registered to vote that they too are allowed that opportunity to practice this democracy process, uh, we saw a call for their loved ones to bring their IDs uh, so they can uh, form part of this particular process. Uh, so we have Pop Crew. Uh, they are the P- Police and Prison Civil Rights Union. Uh, they are with us uh, this morning, joining us uh, to just let us in on really how important uh, do we find this particular process being taken to uh, the inmates so they can practice uh, their right here. We know very well that they've been pushing and encouraging also inmates to vote in the upcoming election. So Richard Marbolo joins us this morning as the party spokesperson and will just let us in on how things have been faring in this particular regard because we know very well that they too, as those in the police sector, will have a busy year for them as they'll be you know, preparing themselves to man and guard some of these vote voting stations and even the integrity of these upcoming elections. We're on 0861 You can call in and engage with us in that particular fashion. Thereby, X, we go by at PowerFM987 at Katlero Lerodi underscore. Uh, let's just go into this conversation uh, this morning in that particular fashion. Good morning, sir. Welcome to the show. Good morning to you and the listeners. Yeah, no, thank you very much for uh, giving us your time. It's a very important year uh, when you look at where we find ourselves now. We don't know yet when the elections are going to uh, take place, but we see a lot of movement in the country. There was that a call that was made for loved ones of inmates to try by all means to bring their IDs so they too can form part of this particular process. It's a very important process, but I want us to, just before going into that process, maybe just uh, get a, a reaction. Uh, just uh, an off-the-cuff reaction from Pop Crew uh, following the release of that CRL report uh, and the human rights report into the July unrest. And then we'll go into that matter. Of course, we're drawing from the conversation that we were having with a forensic investigator just a moment ago. Yeah, good good, good, good morning once again. I think, uh, well, the report, uh, since it has come out, we obviously have been studying it, uh, though there might not be immediate responses. But I think... Uh, uh, from the time that uh, the July uh, well unrest happened uh, up until now, there has been a lot of time for reflection. And of course, I think uh, one of the things that it points to has been, of course, the lack of coordination within the security cluster, mm. but as well as uh, the incapacity of the police to actually uh, be in a position to call such matters. And I think uh, what we have observed has been that since then, 
uh, there have been demonstrations rather of uh, uh, well, uh, the security cluster working more efficiently together. Uh, as you would have seen, there have been a lot of uh, joint briefings as to whether they have obviously come out with a, a new way of doing things. It remains to be seen because I think uh, uh, we can only speculate at the moment and, and say that uh, uh, perhaps they would be ready for certain measures uh, in case such an incident were to happen again. Uh, but it cannot be known again. I think uh, you would know that uh, this cluster operates obviously in uh, confidentiality. You would not necessarily uh, disclose some of the well measures that they do take. But I think uh, well, what is important for us, even though we have not uh, come out clearly on the report because it's still being studied, we think that uh, I think uh, uh, one of the things that are key is that uh, we need to strengthen uh, the different units, you know, the, our intelligence, you know, the manpower of the SAPS has been quite shaky. Uh, you would know that uh, the staff complement has been on a decline for quite some time while you've got a population that is growing. And of course, I think uh, we, as much as we welcome the fact that there have been well new recruits into the SAPS uh, over the past two years, uh, that also comes at a point at a time when there has also been some resignations. So, so under well, uh, well, there are a lot of underlying challenges that our men and women in Blueface. I mean, resources challenges with uh, uh, well, uh, resources. You know, dilapidated police stations. A shortage of vehicles, which some have been uh, at service for over six months, and so on and so forth. So we think that uh, in addressing some of these challenges, you would also need to look into all these nitty-gritties in ensuring that you capacitate them so that uh, in the case when such a, well, uh, 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 God forbid anyway, uh, such an incident were to take place, uh, they are ready and they can obviously easily be deployed across different uh, uh, areas where which would be affected. Yeah, and do you think that uh, we have an issue? I mean, Calvin picked it up that uh, even when we have new recruits, uh, we're hearing the police commissioner saying that they have a project whereby there are 10,000 SEPs that are trained. Uh, they've deployed around 20,000 police officials in the last two years. Uh, we're talking about uh, just measures of ensuring that we have more boots on the ground. Do they remain on the ground? Uh, do we see them, you know, do we lose them as the public sector to the private sector? And, and why uh, could, could that be what needs to be to happen uh, really to ensure that as much as we see uh, the recruiting we keep them within the, the space yeah look that's the calvin is correct i mean uh, just uh, last year we know that uh, uh, there has been a lot of uh, well skilled officers i think uh, who have been lost to the to the private well the private security industry uh, it's, uh, it's really around issues of remuneration of course i think uh, they find it uh, better they find their remuneration better within the private sector. But as well, I think uh, just after COVID, the first recruitment just after COVID, you had, uh, uh, well, uh, I think it was around the, uh, well, uh, around 10,000. The number was around 10,000. Mm. And uh, the new recruits. So at the same year, you also had about 7,000 uh, people leaving the service. That then meant that uh, in actual fact, there was only a recruitment of around 3,000 people. Mm which is the number which is smaller than what uh, uh, Houteng has actually uh, well produced in terms of uh, this so-called uh, wardens. 
uh, well, safety warrants, you know. They had the meaning that housing had actually recruited more people uh, to fight crime than uh, the SAPS at the national level. So the numbers are quite small, really. I'm not sure about mm-hmm. this current year as to how many people have left the service, but it is a worrying trend, of course, that uh, as much as there are new recruitment, there are also a lot of people leaving the SAPS. Yeah. So those are some of the things that definitely need to be looked into, of course. Mm, yeah, no, those are the things that as we go into the year, we need to ensure that we really try by all means to instill confidence in this particular space in a way that we'll see uh, just more of those police officials remaining within the public sector. I mean, uh, I was with you guys for most of uh, last year uh, in the on the ground in terms of the wages and how then the police have highlighted gaps over time, uh, how they feel unsafe, they're under siege and the likes. I'm hoping that as we go into the new year most of those things will just be things of the past and then we see the police sector that is rejuvenated revived in a way that it will make us feel safe here but an important year uh, that is 2024 uh, because we see at least in the day that was uh, the IEC kicking off uh, the voter registration drive uh, for inmates I remember there was a statement that you guys released as pop crew where you were really just encouraging people to vote you were encouraging also those that are your members within these particular spaces uh, to try by all means to uh, you know encourage eligible voters that are inmates to practice this constitutional right uh, let us in on uh, what your observations have been and how important then uh, it becomes for inmates to also form part of this process yeah thank you the, the voter registration period for inmates ends uh, today actually mm-hmm. on the first of february started on the 30th of january so it was basically a call uh, to urge our members to ensure that uh, at least the uh, inmates to get the, the, the information around them being able to vote because I think uh, some of them might be under the impression that well since they're incarcerated they therefore uh, lose the right to vote and all these things but it's a process which started uh, back in 1999, which was obviously uh, taken through the courts, and uh, since 1999, they have been eligible to vote. Now, uh, denying inmates their right to vote undermines the law and policy that is meant to rehabilitate them. So every reasonable effort mm-hmm. should be made to ensure that uh, they form part of uh, well decision-making processes within our democracy. Yeah. And of course, I think uh, they, they, anyway, they... they, they the, the core function of the department is, is to rehabilitate, not, it's not for punitive measures. That is why we're no longer calling them prisons, but uh, correctional facilities. And uh, I think you should be aware that, uh, you know, we've got the largest prison population in the, on the continent, which uh, was uh, just last year by March, it was standing around uh, 158,000. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, out of that, you know, we've got about 143 of those who are South Africans. And 67 of them, 67 percent of them are sentenced offenders. Some of them are undermined and all those things. So it's quite a significant number of people. And of course, in exercising their right, we we feel that uh, we obviously need to make a contribution as a union to ensure that uh, there is sufficient information given to them and of course their families as well to encourage them to really participate in the democratic processes of their country. Because uh, these are the people who are expecting that after rehabilitation, they need to be reintegrated into our societies. 
so 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 the campaign was merely about that to ensure that uh, you know they become aware and of course inform their families about uh, well in case they do not have their well uh, identification documents so that the uh, families could actually work towards ensuring that uh, they are also assisted in that regard and we feel that uh, this huge number should definitely participate yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I was just looking at the limitations uh, that may exist in this space. We know very well that uh, when you're an inmate, you may not have your ID uh, readily available with you uh, at the time that the uh, officials from the IEC uh, get into uh, this particular space. There are others that even lost their IDs. They don't know where they are. So do we see greater efforts here, uh, you know, from uh, the powers that be, even uh, the Home Affairs Department uh, to come through and help in this particular regard in a way that we don't leave anyone uh, behind because I saw you encouraging family members to try uh, by all means to really come through for the inmates Uh, but for instance if you are an inmate and you're not finding joy you haven't been in contact with the outside world for the longest of time is there a way that you can navigate and go through uh, this particular process are there considerations there Uh, something that maybe the IEC will also uh, need to be aware of as they go into this particular drive? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, one of the things that has been happening uh, on a regular basis has been the fact that, uh, well, the Department of uh, well, Home Affairs mm. has from time to time been visiting correctional facilities and, of course, working around the, uh, the positive identification of inmates. Uh, so I would assume that uh, during those times they would have... Uh, uh, assisted those who might not have had their IDs available, but of course some would have obviously given them to their relatives for safekeeping uh, as you know, our co-presence conditions are necessarily not conducive for keeping such information but in the case mm-hmm. where, where, where there might be those who might not have uh, been able to be assisted in that regard, I, I we can only hope that uh, uh, well, uh, to an extent the department has obviously affected uh, some changes or others assisted some of them. It's something that we can obviously only find out about uh, once uh, well the period the registration period has concluded, which concludes today. And I think in the coming days we will be able to determine as to how many people have uh, have had the chance to register and uh, if there are those who could not, uh, what would have been the reasons? You know, sometimes it's about personal choices, yeah. but sometimes it would have been obviously due to well, uh, challenges around uh, uh, some of them attaining their documents. And I think uh, uh, only after that, perhaps in the next week, we will be able to determine as to what then needs to be done. Hopefully, again, there will be another opening for, for registration. And if that is the case, that will be the case. Uh, we will then at least be able to focus our campaign around ensuring that uh, we address some of these loopholes. But, of course, I think uh, it, quite, it would be quite significant that uh, you get this huge population actually participating in their democratic rights. Yeah, no, we need those considerations uh, to really be made and taken as we go into uh, these elections. We're inching closer and closer to the elections. And as I was saying, Mwena Richard, that this is a a very important year. Uh, Do we then see uh, political parties also campaigning uh, for votes behind bars? How how does that work? How does the law actually regulate uh, that particular space? Because as much as we're encouraging them uh, to vote and they are uh, 
detached from what is happening maybe from the outside world in knowing that the MK party maybe, for instance, is gaining a popularity, that how the ANC has been faring, their more or less personal lived experience would be maybe in terms of the food that they get, the education that they get from when they are behind bars and their likes, but they don't have that clear lived experience that can really inform their choices in terms of who then they vote for as we go into the elections. So how, how do we handle issues of campaigning behind bars? Yeah, well, that is quite a tricky one. But, you know, I think, uh, well, I might not know of uh, processes that have been put in place which regulate around how people should campaign within correctional facilities. But what we do know for sure is that uh, the IEC, uh, which is the electoral body, has got, uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, uh, some campaigns that have been running with the Department of Correctional Centers, and they continue to do that. Uh, that is only limited to actually uh, informing inmates about their rights to vote and uh, what it means to, you know, to, you know, all these uh, issues around the importance of voting. And that, I think that is as far as we can go as well. That is as well what we are encouraging our members to do, to obviously uh, have some form of, uh, well, uh, in line with uh, what the, the DCS policies, of course, uh, information sharing with the inmates around the, uh, the importance of voting. So, so as to how uh, political parties would individually campaign within the centres, I think that's uh, an area which, of course, still needs to be further explored. Yeah, no, that is something that because I'm sitting here thinking, yo, how how the the mammoth of a task uh, of uh, an inmate that doesn't know that we have now rise, we have all of these parties that are new in this space, and who do you then vote for? Because when you went in, you only knew the ANC, DA, Cope, and the others. But also uh, this being a very important year for uh, the men and women in blue, uh, because you're going to be the ones that are on the ground to really ensure the integrity of uh, this particular process. You have your work uh, cut out for you as uh, the police. Are you ready? Do we see you really more or less uh, encouraging your members to uh, sober up, you know, in the year 2024 to go into this year uh, by all means agile and ready uh, to protect the integrity of this democratic process? Yeah, you know, just like any other big activities within the country, you have obviously police working towards ensuring that they they get the the right deployments, they ensure that towards that day, you know, there's no violence and so forth. That is why I'm saying that uh, it will also give us a a picture as to how uh, uh, the the security cluster has been organized since the experiences that we've had in the past. And I think this is one of the opportunities where we'll be able to determine whether our readiness was okay, where it would be effective or not. But obviously, uh, with the challenges, I think, uh, well, towards the festive season as well, you would have seen how uh, some bureau of organization was uh, was showing some sense of improvement. And we can only hope that... Uh, uh, well, uh, when 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 the election data are announced, there will then be more regular measures to ensure that uh, we coordinate that uh, the elections are held in a free and fair environment. Yeah, no, we're hoping that really uh, when we go into it, uh, we'll see your uh, men and women really strategic uh, in terms of how then uh, we go about this. Has there, maybe looking at uh, drawing from the past, has there been a challenging or or something, somewhat of an incident that involved the police where uh, the elections are concerned? What are some of the uh, challenges that you usually faced with around this time? Is it voter control? Uh, What what, what is it uh, that maybe you are inundated with? Is it people coming? 
coming to the polling stations drunk and not knowing what they're doing? How, how do we go about it? It's a public holiday after all. Yeah, look, I, I think one of the important things is that, you know, elections are not only, well, the sign of elections are not only about what happens on the day, on the specific day of voting, but processes, the events leading towards elections are quite important as well. I think you would have seen in other states where people have been prevented from going to voting stations, you know, uh, opposition parties are putting each other, well, well different organizations rather, and uh, obviously the safety and security of those who want to go and cast their votes. So I think uh, leading to one that would be quite important. And uh, for that, you would obviously need to ensure that uh, there is some form of visibility so that some of these uh, incidents, if they were to occur, are quelled. You know, we have never experienced them, but, you know, uh, any election, of course, has got its own dynamics. And I think that is where there needs to be more focus, you know, uh, the right to for people to campaign, you know, without being prejudiced upon, all those things need to be considered. And I think uh, part of the plan that should come out well, to come out of this uh, engagement with the security cluster, we obviously have to also look into events leading towards this election. But uh, ultimately, we are quite hopeful that uh, uh, they will definitely be peaceful uh, when they do take place. Yeah, no, we're hoping as well that really uh, we see a lot of, uh, you know, agility from your members and we get a sense of protection, uh, protecting the integrity of uh, the system and the entire, uh, you know, elections uh, alike. Uh, this is something that, uh, you know, I think South Africa has been known over time as a country that would ensure that we go into this process in a way that we're not compromised. So hoping that uh, as we go into the year as well, when uh, Richard, you as the police you tend to get a sense of how and what you would want to see happen uh, we have a budget we have sona uh, so there are a lot i was saying to uh, you know you that you know last year we spent most of the time on the ground in the streets uh, trying by all means to ensure that uh, the police are protected uh, you know socially and the likes uh, do we get a sense that as we go into the year what you guys had been anticipating would be some somewhat of a reality in the year 2024 Look, we are quite hopeful, and of course, I think uh, we come from our National Congress, as you know, uh, which was also addressed by the President of the country, President Sir Ramaphosa. And part of his reflections, of course, were around uh, the issues that we've been highlighting around the uh, collective bargaining, around the living conditions of our members uh, within the criminal justice cluster. And uh, from there, there were obviously commitments. But it's something that we we'll obviously keep pursuing. And uh, as this year comes about, uh, we'll definitely be strengthening our team to a case to ensure that uh, all these challenges that we've been complaining about are addressed. Yeah, no, we're hoping for a smooth uh, 2024 where a pop crew is concerned, but also just the uh, police sector in general, so that uh, we really, really instill the confidence in the men and women in blue. But thank you very much, Mona Richard, uh, for giving us your time uh, this morning. And we're hoping that really 2024 uh, is a smooth year for you and uh, your mates. Thank you. Awesome. Richard Marbulo uh, coming through there as the national spokesperson of pop crew. They've been doing a lot of work, right? You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.